Hey friends, welcome back to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. So today we are diving into a topic that's been very popular and has generated a lot of discussion as of late, and that is the topic of building community. Uh, And you've heard me talk quite vulnerably this season about my struggles with building community, some of the roadblocks we've hit recently. Last season, we had Norm from Strong Towns join us, and we kind of talked about the overarching pieces of community and how to create strong towns and bolster uh, neighborhoods or rural communities. But today, I wanted to take this community discussion in a slightly different angle and get really tactical to give you some tools and ideas for actually doing the thing, for bringing people into your home, for feeding them, for hosting them, and how to work through some of the roadblocks that you might experience as you work through those processes. So... I am so excited to have Christine Marie Bailey joining me. She is a former music industry gal turned entrepreneur and produce and flower farmer. So she is the author of The Kindred Life and also hosts The Kindred Life podcast. And I'm going to let her give a little bit more of her backstory, but welcome, Christine. Thank you, Jill. This is so fun to be here. I love this topic, so I'm excited to dive in. Yes, I just was looking through your stuff here recently, preparing for, for today, and I'm like, man, she she is the one to chat with about this, so it's going to be good. Oh, yay. So fun. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for the intro, but I'm a regenerative farmer in Tennessee here on Kindred Farm, and yeah, building community is, is our heart for everything that we do here. Hmm, I love that. So... As I was looking through your website, I think it was on one of your book, you were talking about your book, and one sentence really stuck out to me. And it said, why connection matters, a rallying cry for Mm -hmm. connection in a time when we need to reclaim and recapture what's being lost by busyness, distraction, and isolation. And I was like, oh, so good. Yes. And just kind of to hit that overarching point, I'd love to hear in your words, why do you feel that connection matters now more than ever in our fast-paced modern world? We, We have phones, we have Zoom. So why is this something right. to prioritize? Yes, that is so good. And I think that it's so important that, you know, we can use modern technology. We can use our phones. We can use social media, Zoom, things like that to enhance our lives in so many ways. But we can't do it at the cost of real, tangible, visceral connection. And I think that is something that's really being lost in the time that we're living in, that things are being replaced by like AI you know, um, they can write papers for us, they can, you know, teach our children, they can, you know, decorate our homes. It's like, it's kind of taking away that tangible element of getting our hands dirty in life and really getting in there and and making an effort, like having a struggle, having that element of discomfort that I just feel like is so important to us as humans. And so that is something that in all of the work that I do here on the farm, in our farm dinners, in our community that we're building here in Tennessee, and in everything with my book and podcast is really bringing people back to those tangible experiences because I think that's how we're meant to live. That's how we're, we've been living since the beginning of time. And even as technology progresses, we can't lose those. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what draws us together as humans. And we're, we're starting to miss that. And we're thinking that online connection is good enough. And it's just not. Yeah, man, you're speaking my language. Yeah. And I, I think it was a headline somewhere a couple of weeks ago. And it was obviously designed to get shock. But I am concerned it's going to become more regular. It was something along the lines of man or, or this person was super lonely and he has now created a, a really deep, they said a deep relationship with a, an AI technology program. And he was talking right. about how he made him feel like seen and connected. And this person, this a- not person, this AI 
technology was like made him feel cared for. And I'm just like reading this with horror. Like, yeah, like I know y'all think that I mean, we see that across all of life. Right. You know, lab produced food is no different than nature produced food. It's the same. And we we have this idea that, you know, what humans create and what nature creates, it's all one in the same. And it's not. And I think that's such a side of our industrial area where now we're trying to do that with actual relationships. Oh, yeah. Technology relationships are the same as uh, a real relationship. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you guys are there's things like you said that tangible element of getting your hands dirty, both literally and figuratively, is something that can never be manufactured by Zoom or phones or AI. So yep. I think this is such an important message right now. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I it's something I've been pondering a lot lately, just hearing those news stories about AI in particular. I'm like, how far is too far? Yeah. What can never be copied? What can never be replicated? And I was thinking about that. I just read an article about it. On the same day, my daughter came to me with this little, it was like early spring, and she brought me this little bouquet of violets from our yard and handed it to me, like pulled it from behind her back and handed it to me. And I was like, this cannot be replicated by yeah. AI, nope. you know, and you can try to make like wind and, and sense like there's all these crazy things they're trying to replicate with it, but it can just never take the place of a real experience. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny how people are still trying though. And I'm like, having y'all figured out yeah. that this just, it's, yeah. it's not the same, y'all. It's not the Good same. Good luck. Good yeah. luck. But y'all are still giving <laughs> it your best shot. So, okay. Yeah. So give us a little background on you and why this topic is so near and dear to your heart. I know you have quite a story of moving and discovering. And so kind of give us the rundown yeah. on that. Yeah. So I definitely never thought I would end up a regenerative farmer in Tennessee. I grew up in suburban New Jersey in a, a very Italian-American neighborhood. You know, my mom planted flowers and things in our yard, but I never had an experience with farming or gardening. But my my grandfather had immigrated from Sicily in the early 1900s through Ellis Island and had created this just tomato garden in their backyard in New Jersey. And so I knew that that was in my blood, but I didn't have really a hands-on experience with it. So. After I met my husband, Stephen, I went to college in Nashville, like you said, worked in the music industry for a while, met my husband, Stephen, and we ended up moving to Dallas, Texas. So huge city, concrete jungle, and, you know, kind of started working with some friends that had a training studio and learned about real food for the first time. I'll never forget the first time they were like, you need to taste just an organic apple. And it was the first time I was like, oh, there is an importance in just real food, like back to the elements of you know, not processed, not chemicals, back to the way that it was created to be. And I remember the first time I tasted an organic apple and I was like, oh my goodness, this tastes different. This is like, I've never tasted an apple before. So we kind of went through this journey of, you know, real food, changing our lifestyle. And then in 2009, I saw Food Inc. Mm. And I'll never forget the moment, the documentary Food Inc. My husband and I were sitting in our Dallas living room and we watched that and it just really changed everything. It lit a fire in us to understand the problems with our food system, understand how we could contribute to it for better or for worse, like how we could support organic farmers. That's where we first introduced to Joel Salatin and all of his work, pasture-raised farming, grass-fed animals, all of that. And so we were like, okay, what can we do now? We cannot unknow everything that we just learned. What are we going to do about it? And so the only thing we need to do was, okay, where are our local farmers? Where are the farmers within like an hour radius of where we are here in Dallas? And we just started 
driving on Saturday mornings, like loaded up our little Volkswagen rabbit, tiny car and started driving the back roads of Texas, looking for local farmers and going there and buying their goods, learning about their stories, talking with them, buying their raw milk and their fresh baked bread and their, you know, fresh made butter and potatoes with the dirt still on them and taking all those things back to the city. And during that time, it was just like we could exhale We found this sense of peace and connection that we were kind of missing in the busyness of the city, but we were still living in the city. So, you know, we thought, how can we bring this back to the city? So we started sharing it with friends in our home, just inviting people in for brunch. Hey, we've got these awesome goods from the farm. We'd love to share. Let's cook together. Let's share it around the table. And then it just caught on. Our friends were like, can you bring us milk next time? And asking us to like load up our coolers. And then before we knew it, we had started an organic produce co-op in a Dallas parking lot. Started with 17 families. We grew it to 2,300 families. Oh, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Over several years time, we ended up building an entire quarter acre urban farmstead with chickens and bunnies and bees colonies on the roof. We had a market and cafe where we served all organic food there and all Texas goods. So that is where we just, you know, this passion for supporting local farmers grew into our business. And all that while we were have our own little backyard garden and just getting our hands dirty in our own little tiny square backyard in, in Dallas. And you know, finding the joy of getting my hands in the dirt myself and growing that tomato plant and growing those herbs and sharing them with people. So that's where it really where it all began. The end of 2015, we decided to sell our business in Dallas. It was called Urban Acres and moved to Tennessee. I'd always wanted to return here since I had gone to college here, just like the rolling green hills, four seasons. And so we're like, okay, we're going to try our hands at being farmers now. We have all this knowledge that we've learned from these farmers themselves how can we now take this to the next level? And so we came here to look for land and it took us about a year to find it. But the end of 2016, we found our land here in Santa Fe, Tennessee, about an hour from Nashville. And yeah, I stepped foot here for the first time and I just knew it was the place for Mm us to build community. I just felt an immediate connection with this land and knew it was meant to be shared with people. So yeah. Oh my gosh. So that's kind of in a nutshell. That's a story. And I, I even, I, I love the middle part too. I guess that we could call it the middle part, the Dallas part, because I feel like that is yeah so parallel to so many people right now who are feeling that urge, but they, they live, mm-hmm. you know, in the middle of a big city. And so I think your story of go, mm-hmm. you felt the, the, the calling and you just were like, okay, what can we do now? We can drive on Saturday mornings. We can start a co-op. And yeah. it's such a great example of you can do something no matter where you are. You know, and that's, I, I just yeah. love those stories. Yeah. And we don't have to wait for the perfect yeah. environment or the perfect scenario. Like we had a tiny car. We didn't have a truck or anything. We just loaded up a cooler in our back seat and did what we could. And even our backyard garden, you know, the first thing I grew was like a really sad tomato plant. But I tried, you know, our fr- our very first season, we grew like a cucumber, one cucumber <laughs> yes. and like a sad tomato plant. Yeah. But now we're growing like thousands and thousands of flowers and produce items. And so, yeah, you just have to begin. In my book, I just talk about starting small, but just begin because that's where we get hung up is not starting anything. Yes. You know, and we have these dreams of, oh, living on land or being more connected to the land, but we never take the first step to just do something in that direction. And I think that's the hardest part. I agree. I think that action is so crucial, even imperfect action, even where you're like, does this really matter? It does matter because I think it just Mm -hmm. switches or flips a switch in our brain. 
where we start to go, oh, mm-hmm. I can do something. And then, then we get that dopamine yeah. and then we start to go and it, yeah, it matters. Yeah. 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 And you never know where you're going to end up. Like we didn't know when we just started, okay, yeah, we'll get some food for you and bring it back for you. And then this other family asked us to do it. We had no idea, you know, seven years later where that would lead. Yeah. But if, yeah, we just have to kind of trust the goodness of the journey and just keep taking that next step forward. And we still do that with the farm. It's not like we've arrived now that we're here. You know, I mean, in our own businesses, every single year, we're evaluating how we can go to the next level and keep living out our vision in in new ways. Yes, Yes, same. I I relate to that. So how has building community around the table, which I know you're like me in terms that we both love feeding people, we both love connecting around food. How has that played into your life from the beginning and throughout this journey? How has that been kind of woven through and brought you where you are today in terms of the farm journey you're on? Yeah. So like I mentioned, I grew up in an Italian-American family. And so that is where I can credit it for beginning for me. It was just these big tables, imperfect, you know, pulling in every chair in the house for holidays or special meals, you know, inviting in people that weren't even part of the family to join in those meals, everyone getting their hands dirty, you know, getting involved in the kitchen, having a part, and then enjoying this big feast together. So that I kind of grew up really with that in my blood, in my DNA. And even my mom, my parents would invite over just, you know, random people for Thanksgiving dinner. And, you know, we'd sit at this tiny table, like brushing elbows. And it was a really good growing experience for me in those years when I was still, you know, a teenager, preteen, learning that, you know, you can invite people in and learning how to talk to people that maybe you don't know. But when you have a meal, it really brings you together in a different way. When you're sharing a meal with someone, I think that's a really vulnerable place to be, but it also brings us together in connection in a really unique way. So that's kind of where I think the foundations of it began. When my, I met my husband, Stephen, he was so passionate about food. I always joke, I married a man that already had a KitchenAid mixer. I was like, what? How are you? He was like already baking awesome. for people and, <laughs> yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah. So I actually learned about cooking and and everything from him, other than like the few recipes I knew from my Italian family. But so sharing meals has been a part of our marriage from the beginning. So we're living in like this tiny condo under an overpass in Dallas with like maroon carpet, like totally not what we would want our design to be. But we just invited in people. We invited in friends. We would sit around our coffee table on the floor and share meals. And it was beautiful. So that's always been a part of our marriage from the beginning is just don't wait for it to be perfect. Don't wait until you have this perfect house that looks a certain way that's like ready for hosting people, but just invite people in and see what happens. And every single time, there's something really amazing that happens when you gather around the table around a meal and getting your hands dirty in the kitchen together. So inviting people in to help prepare the meal, you know, that's, that's always been part of what we do. Not okay, let's have this amazing spread ready and now open the door and like, oh, you know, like it's about really, that is what kindred means to me okay. is is getting people in there, working on it together, doing something together and then getting to sit down and enjoy that. So when we started the farm, I chose the word kindred because I love that word so much and it means family or community or tribe. And we wanted people to feel that when they came to our farm and when they stepped foot on our land. And we knew that we, we had started actually our farm dinners, our farm to table dinners back in Dallas in the city. Joel Salatin was speaking at several of them. 
And we had all these local chefs that we collaborated with. So we knew we wanted to do dinners here on our farm as well. And so that was another reason for the word kindred. Like we wanted to draw people together to the land, to community, to life around the table. And then at the same time, like this is just how we're living our lives in our homes with our friends. You know, we're not, it's not just something we do for our business. This is what we've always done. You know, when I had babies, I was nursing. I'm like holding them in one arm and eating with the other hand. And, you know, it's, it's messy. It's not, it's not anything perfect, but the connection that happens from that is just priceless. And that's what we find at our dinners now. Like we're every single time, you know, we host 130 to 150 people now at one dinner. Wow. And it's one big long table. We do them every season. We're doing them spring and fall right now, but we're adding these new experiences where we're adding more opportunities for dinners here on the farm this coming year. But every single time people connect in such unique ways. And it's you're sitting down and eating with someone you don't know. Like you might be sitting next to a complete stranger. But how often do we do that in life? It's right. not, not it's often. not often. Right. But every single time people make new friends, they're exchanging phone numbers, they're talking with someone that has a completely different life than them. But there's common ground in the fact that they're just a person sharing a meal, you know, and we all need to be fed. We all need to eat. And so it's kind of this really cool connection point. Yeah. So food is so it's so magical for that. There's just nothing. Just It's just like a primal thing. There's nothing like it. Yeah. 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 So we have found that and we're we're adding this past year, we've added a bunch of classes. So my husband's a private chef now. That's his full time work. He does. We do our dinners here and he also works in people's homes. And so bringing together like culinary and farming is everything that we're doing right now. Yeah. We do artisan pizza classes, these experiences where people can kind of do cooking demos and also learn from my husband and we get to really interact with them and we did a kimchi experience, barbecue experience. We're adding lots of things like that on the farm so people can really just be intimately connected to like where their food comes from, the processes, getting back to those hands-on processes. Yeah. I love just even the title barbecue experience. That to me, man, I know my wheels are turning. That like changes the whole vibe and makes it feel like an adventure. So that's really yes, cool. Yes, it yeah. is. I like And that. it's fun for us to do. It's so fun. We really enjoy doing it. And and I love the intimacy of those where it's, you know, maybe 20 people and we get to really talk with people and they really get to ask questions and learn. Like we love educating people. We, we love sharing the things that we've learned along the way and are continuing to learn. And it's just, that's another thing I think is, is starting to be lost is just like this hunger for knowledge or you know, not knowing something and figuring out the answer. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like we have everything at our fingertips. It's like, oh, just Google it. There you go. There's the answer. Versus kind of struggling through to find the answer or, you know, having to invest time and in finding out how to do something yeah. and being uncomfortable in the meantime. Right. Yes, I love that. Okay, so as, as you're talking, it's so inspiring and it's giving me all the, the warm, fuzzy feelings. And I'm just picturing... <laughs> Maybe some people listening, because I know I was in this position a number of years ago. They're listening going, cool, I like that. It sounds great. But this is what I hear them say to me a lot. I don't know anyone mm -hmm. in my area, or they say, no one around here is like me, and I don't want to be, like, I don't know how to be friends with them, or I don't want to be friends with them, or they don't like me, or those kind of stories. So what would you say mm -hmm. to a person who's wanting what you have, but they are not sure how to get it? Yeah, that's a great question. And I get that all the time here on the farm as well. And I think that number one, I think it goes back to the discomfort thing. Nobody wants to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Nobody wants to feel 
at all, like they don't know what they're doing or they don't know, you know, how to talk with that person or, you know, that person feels different. I'm just going to keep my distance. So I think the first step is just saying, okay, I'm going to be a little uncomfortable, but I've got to take the first step. And what we talk about all the time is you cannot wait for people to invite you in. You cannot wait for the invitation. You just can't. It's an excuse. And I know that we all have them and we all want to try to use that excuse to not move forward. But the best way is just to extend the invitation. And it doesn't have to be to someone who's exactly like you. I remember those early days with Stephen in our in our Dallas apartment. It's like we're single or sorry, we're newly married with no kids. But we had, you know, older single friends. We had friends with kids. We had like older couples whose kids were in college that we would have over. And there really is something beautiful about interacting with people in different life stages. It doesn't just have to be people in your life stage. And it was really neat, even when we're married, to get to have single friends over and for them to have someone to eat with. So I would say, don't wait for other people to invite you in. I mean, obviously, you have to get out of your house somehow to meet people to invite. So I think it just takes that step. But don't be afraid to extend the invitation. It doesn't mean you have to be like best friends with that person or know them forever. It's just kind of testing the waters and seeing, you know, who do you click with? But you'll never know until you until you ask. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I would say don't wait and then don't wait for your space to be perfect. That was don't my try next, to create yeah, a that, perfect space. Yeah. That was my next one because that's the other objection I hear. And I we, we had a 900 yeah. square foot house when we bought our homestead back, you know, years ago. And I, I have yeah. been there where like our dining room was basically a, a windowless closet. And I would be like, I don't know how to have people over. This is so mm-hmm. weird. Like we can barely fit around the table. I can't squeeze another human around the table. So <laughs> how do you, what are some of your tricks for reconciling, you know, not waiting for it to be perfect, but what if someone's just like, it's really not perfect. I'm not sure if I can even host. Yeah. Well, I would first, I would just say, try to get away from the word hosting. Cause I think mm. it immediately has this feel of I have to set up something that looks a certain way. Now, I think we always want to put an element of care in everything that we do. We always go the extra mile. We we want to show people that we care. Like we want our house to be clean. You know, we want it to to feel comfortable and cozy for people and inviting. But those things don't cost a lot of money and they definitely don't have to look a certain curated way. Some of the best most memorable meals in my life, I got to travel to India. Africa. I got to sit on the floor with people in India and like eat out of a rice pot. And it was one of the most meaningful meals of my life. It does not, you, it doesn't have to be a certain way to have real connection with people. I mean, think about the times you've gone to someone's house and it wasn't, you know, this fancy, um, setting. Did you feel still welcomed in? Like, what are the things that made you feel welcomed in? It wasn't like perfect pillows or a shine table or like a new, new everything. It was just that you felt, you felt welcomed. It was warm. It was inviting and they fed you. You know, you got to share that experience with them. So I would just say, don't be afraid. We've sat around our coffee table and had like Thanksgiving dinners with, with people. And I don't know, for myself, when I go to someone's house and I feel like it is kind of lived in and comfortable, I feel more relaxed there. Yes. But somehow we feel like we need to create something for others that's perfect in a way. That it, but when yeah. we think about where we mm. feel comfortable, we don't feel, you know, like who wants to go into a place where you like can't touch anything and yeah. you're like, oh, it's uncomfortable, right? And it's so funny how we do usually, I think, extend grace. Like I, I have friends who I, their homes are, you know, usually not super clean when we go over. And but like you said, they make us feel welcome. and I don't even notice 
you know, they'll be like, I'm sorry, it's messy. Yeah. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's not messy. You know, I'm like, it's just no. feels good. It feels like we're supposed to be here, but it's hard. We have a hard time giving ourselves that grace, I think. I know I, yeah. you know, always like, oh no, the dog hair has to be completely gone. And, you know, there can't be any trash in the trash <laughs> yeah. can. It's just like, it's silly how we, we can't give ourselves that leeway. Yeah. And I think there is a balance. Like, obviously you want to go and know that someone's prepared a place right. for you in some way. Like they've put care into it. We're always thinking about that with our farm dinners. Like we don't have like these perfect tablescapes and, you know, we don't have like a decorator come in and make sure everything is a certain way. There is a little bit of a grittiness to everything that we do here where it's, it's approachable. It's rustic. It's, it's, you're on a farm. There's, you know, wildflowers in a jar on the table, mismatched napkins and things like that. But that's our style because we want it to still feel comfortable and approachable. Yeah. I like, you know, and yeah. welcoming. I like how you termed it, you know, leaning away from the word hosting, which has a lot of connotations yeah. wrapped around it versus just like caring, mm -hmm. which I, that when, when you said that I could kind of see those pictures in my brain that that's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the element I mentioned earlier of just inviting people in, like you don't have to even have the meal fully prepared when someone comes over. I think that's another point of pressure. And it's honestly something I still struggle with mm -hmm. all these years later. I'll like panic and tell, and you know, tell my husband, I'm like, Oh, well, this isn't ready. He's like, let me remind you of something called the kindred life. It's <laughs> yeah. like, you wrote a book about it <laughs> yep. and it's okay for it to not all be set up. Yes. Because it makes, it, it makes people feel welcome too to like be invited into your kitchen. It's like, okay, here's a cutting board, you know, with our friends. It's, they know they're coming over and they're going to get in there too. Yeah and do something. And then there's so much more fulfillment that we all had a hand in that, even though it was at our home, that everyone had a had a hand in preparing that. The very last chapter of my book is called Your Own Kindred Dinner. And I put it there because I wanted to give people ideas on how to do their own dinner, like their own way to invite people in in a special, in a special way. Not the long table dinners we do on the farm, but just to gather people and maybe invite people in that are a little bit outside of your normal friend group. Mm. And so I put that in there because I really wanted people to have the tools to do that in an authentic way. And one of the big elements is just letting people help, Yeah, you know, and not feeling like it has to be all set up when you get there. So yeah. I also struggle with that. But like like you said, I, I always I'm like, I don't know why I'm, I'm thinking it has to be plated you know, perfectly yeah. when they walk in the door because it's such a good icebreaker. Yeah. And I'm no, I've even noticed just having new friends over just for projects, even if it's not food related, is a really good way to break the ice too versus sitting around in the living room, yeah. like looking at each other, trying to make small talk. <laughs> I like, hey, like one time it was like, we're laying sod. We don't know you very well, but do you want to come help us? <laughs> and they're like, sure. Yeah. But it was fun. And then we got, I mean, now we're like best friends with them. So it's like, yeah, those yeah. working together is powerful. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. When you do something hard with people, there is such a connection that happens. I remember when we first started the farm. I mean, oh my goodness, how many people have helped us do random things since we've started the farm? Okay. We had no idea what we were doing when we, like day one, spring 2017, we're like, okay, we're farmers now, yeah. let's go. And we had so many friends like come over and just like help us plant, pull weeds, broad fork the rows, you know, and there is something really cool. I feel like all of those people have a place in our land. Like they're in, they're part of the soil. They're part of the story here because there was a role there. And when you do work side by side with someone, there's something really unique that happens in your relationship. So that's another good way to really get to know someone. Yes. That's a good point. I agree. Yeah.
Okay, so I want to talk about the food aspect a little bit because it's my favorite part. But I also know that cooking for a larger group, whether that group is maybe 10 people when you're only used to cooking Mm -hmm. for four or it's 15 or 20 or 100 people, that can feel really daunting to folks. So I guess give us some of your best strategies. And also, I'd love Mm -hmm. any specific, you know, meals that you are cutting your go to meals for groups. Any of those ideas I would I would love. Yeah, sure. So I was thinking about before I even met my husband and I was like single living in Nashville with my roommate. We actually had, it's, I kind of say this is the first kindred dinner because my roommate and I decided that we were going to have a dinner for Valentine's Day. And we had all these single friends and that lived all in their own apartments and we invited them all over. And all I knew how to cook was like my Aunt Lucille's baked CD and meatballs. And I was like, all right. I'm making that because I know I can make that one dish and it can feed a lot of people. And who doesn't love like Italian comfort food? Like everyone loves that, right? So we're like, we're just going to do that. And so we invite, we set out invites to all our friends. Everyone came over. We set up like all the tables we had in one big line in down our living room. It was like so mismatched. We had like office chairs at the table, but it was one of the most memorable dinner experiences I've ever had. And so I would say one of the best tools is just find something you can make really well. Mm. Just like your your star dish. Like it doesn't even have to be a really, it doesn't have to be a fancy dish. It could be very rustic. But like what's one thing you can learn to cook really well and that's your go-to item, you know, or one or two meals that you know you can do. Um, So I, you know, in my book, I, in The Kindred Life, I have 10 recipes in there. So there's some ideas in there that people can use for where to begin. I mean, even if it's just like, you know, roasted chicken thighs and vegetables. It doesn't have to be something really complicated, but just learning how to do those things. I have an easy no-need bread recipe in there. That's another thing like makes you feel amazing to be able to bake your own bread. It doesn't even have to be sourdough to start out, you know, just a really simple loaf of bread and to like put that on the table for someone is just, it's so wonderful and it's not complicated. So find a few things that you can make. But then, you know, like I said, going back to the everyone having a part, a lot of times we'll do like tacos or, you know, salads with like all different fixings or even just like bring your own meat. And then, you know, we'll all make some salads and sides together. So there's ways that you can collaborate that make it more doable and just get away from the idea that it's like, oh, I have to pick this perfect recipe and create this, you know, really hard thing. Don't use that time to like learn a new recipe or skill because that is stressful you know yeah i've been there i've I've tried that didn't end super well and it was not enjoyable yeah so yeah (laughs) i I agree my favorites are we do tacos so much and yeah where we live is a long way to the grocery store so a lot of times we'll be like we want tacos but we're missing some pieces so we'll like text everyone do you want to come over and have tacos also do you have sour cream you could bring like like doing that is, is funny and it's but it works and then we get to have community time and we get to have tacos and everyone brings a piece and it's just yeah it's just fun and special and informal and I think those are some of my favorites yeah I love that and sometimes even with like our really close friends we don't even have a meal plan it's like okay we have leftover ground beef yep we've got some onions you know it's kind of like whatever what do you have in your fridge just bring it over we'll figure out how to make something out of it. You know, it doesn't even have to be because it's not always about the food. Like we love good food. We love, you know, when we do our farm dinners, it is it is a curated experience. It's very planned. It's very timed. It's plated well and all of that. That's different than what we're doing in our homes. 
And it, it doesn't have to be this, you know, it doesn't have to be a curated experience. It's okay to just pull things together and just let that time speak for itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so. I agree. So you mentioned, you know, close friend groups. And I think some of us have, you know, we have the people that we're most comfortable with, the ones that we just kind of roll mm-hmm. in and it, it feels good and we don't have to think about it. We just are, are completely ourselves. But I also think it's really healthy and I know you are of the same mind that we're continuing to kind of push into those people who are on the margins and on the periphery and and make those new mm-hmm. connections. And I know for me, and I'm sure others, that f- that is good and that's healthy. But sometimes when I have those people into my home that I don't know very well, my biggest fear is like, we're going to hit that awkward moment of the evening and like we run out of things to say and we're like staring at each other and and there's nothing flowing. So how do you overcome those mm-hmm. fears and, and any strategies you have to kind of avoid those awkward silences? Yeah, that's a good question. So something that we've been doing on the farm just with our friends, we've done it twice now and it's been really, really cool is we've had these family dinners where we're inviting just our close friends that we hang out with all the time. And then we're asking each one of them to invite someone else. So invite in another family that might need friends, that might need community that we don't know already. And so that new family has someone they do know but then they're also meeting a lot of new people. And we, I mean, our house is really tiny. So we do all of this outside, just in our kind of yard area here. And everyone that comes brings just like a random dish, bring something that you like to make. You know, we've done it in spring and fall. Bring a, bring a spring dish that you like to share. We'll grill a bunch of meats. And I don't know, I feel like it takes out that element of, oh goodness, this is going to be so awkward when there is a touch point. Like they know somebody that's there. But it's a great way to invite in people that you would never be connected to otherwise, but they're kind of like one step away. And it's been so beautiful. Like kids are running around all different ages from like toddlers to teenagers are just running around playing with balls and in the creek and sticks and there's no screens. And I don't know, you're really getting to talk with people that are maybe outside of your normal friend group and outside of your normal community. And it sparked a lot of new friendships. And, you know, it's, I don't think we need to put the pressure on it of like, I'm going to be best friends with all these new people, but you just don't know where that's going to lead. So you have to take the step at some point. Yes. And once again, go back to that place of discomfort. Like I have to gear myself up for these because I'm more of an introvert. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be talking to people that I don't know. And I kind of have to prepare for that. That's not what I'm doing all day, every day. But on these, uh, in these times, it is a little bit of like, okay, gear up. We've got to go outside of our comfort zones a little bit. Yeah. You know, I love that you said that you still gear yourself, gear yourself up. I do the same thing. I'm also an introvert. Yeah. And yeah, so often, even when it's an event I'm looking forward to, I still kind of have to pep talk myself. And I, once I get there, once I'm yeah. in the middle of it, I'm loving it. I'm enjoying it. But there's, I still like every single time I have that little bit of tension mm-hmm. internally, I push through to be like, oh, it would be more comfortable to just stay home. Yeah. I just want to yeah. stay home and read I a book. I just want to stay home and read a book. <laughs> yeah. But like you said, yeah. multiple times um, in this interview, which I think is so mm-hmm. powerful discomfort is okay. Just because you're feeling discomfort doesn't mean you shouldn't do it or you should shy away. Like to lean into that is when the good stuff happens. Yes. And I am speaking to myself because I completely feel that every single time, every farm dinner, every event we have on on our farm, because I'm more of an introvert, I'm like, okay, I hope this works, you know? And then every single time I'm like on an adrenaline high for like two days afterwards, because it is every single time it doesn't fail. If you'll just create the space for people, 
and and invite them in and and feed them, like create an environment where people can share a meal and be connected to the land and to where their food comes from and to community. It it really just kind of takes on a life of its own. So really just setting the space for that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's all we have to do in our normal lives. Yes. And and just kind of let it be, let it, let it be what it wants to be because it is how we're meant to live. Yeah. I really believe that. And that's such a good thing to remember is we are, we are wired for this. So that's why it does yeah. feel good. Even when that's why you get those little hits of adrenaline because we're supposed yeah. to be doing this. Yeah. We're not supposed to be living in our dark little houses on our screens <laughs> all day long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's two introverts um, saying yeah. that. So we 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 can say that. <laughs> yes. We have the authority to say that because I also like just if we can if do we can it, do you it. can yes, too. <laughs> totally. Okay. As we kind of wind down here, my my last big question for you is, you know, as we're building community mm-hmm. and, and getting to know new people and and creating space, you know, it's inevitable because we're all human that sometimes division occurs or there can be hurt feelings mm-hmm. or stepped on toes. And I see that a lot in our, we, we live near a town of 175 people, you know, so I know almost everyone in town. And it, the one thing that I mm. see really prevalent is, well, this person got offended at this person, so now they don't speak. But then they also got offended at this person and they don't speak. And what it, what it does is it creates divisions and fractures so quickly and sometimes those last decades mm. and it can be extremely damaging. And so what I've learned from observing that is I've got to patch those up and let things go quickly. Otherwise, there will be no community. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, how you um, overcome that, how you work through that, how you keep the community rolling, even when inevitably somebody's going to have some disagreements sometimes. Yeah, that's, that is really true. And I, I'm like a peacemaker personality. So I totally hate <laughs> any yeah. kind of conflict. It's hard. I think my perspective on that is just, we can only be ultimately responsible for our own selves and our own actions. And that's something I'm teaching my two daughters all the time. It's something my husband and I are talking about a lot in our business and personally is that's the best we can do. How are we how are we conducting things? What kind of space are we creating? And I think that that's contagious and that will grow, but there's inevitably going to be those divisions, there's going to be drama, there's going to be things that happen. And so I think what you said is great. It's do what I can to patch things up and to bring peace back to the situation, but ultimately I can't control what the other person does. Yeah. And so we can't, I choose not to get involved in drama. I hate drama. I, if it, if it's like constant, like, oh, this is constantly becoming a problem. Like that's just not something I'm going to invest my time in, you know, because you can only do so much. You can set up a space for people. You can welcome people in, but you can't control what happens from there. So I think just doing our part to be peacemakers and patch it up in a healthy, constructive way and letting people know that they're welcome. But beyond that, we just can't control if there's drama or divisiveness, you know? And I know that's harder in small communities because like word does spread or like people feel left out or, you know, whatever it may be. And I think that's, that is hard. It's hard to have healthy boundaries and also be welcoming. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's hard. That That is a really hard balance because we all have to have we can't invite every single person in the entire town to our home for dinner. Yes. Right. And so there has to be a there has to be a boundary at some point and we can't be responsible for everybody's, you know, community and and social well-being, you know. Right. But we can do what we can do in a healthy way and and I think that's that's kind of the way to approach it. Yeah. I think that's So that's hopefully wise. that's helpful. Yeah, that's wise. Yep. And I think the boundary topic is is a whole we could do a whole other episode on that because 
You know, we yeah. want to we want to create community. We want to we want to bring the people together. But you also, you know, you have to have those those lines and like, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're not going to do. And yeah, humans humans mm-hmm. are messy, man. They're just messy sometimes. It's messy. Yeah, it's so messy. Knowing that it's going to be messy, I think, is really freeing yeah. for me because I do kind of want there to never be conflict. But knowing to just kind of expect some of that is freeing. And then the other thing I wanted to say is I'm always measuring it against like what's healthy for our family first. Mm-hmm. Like what is healthy for our family of four? We have a daughter that just turned 13 and a nine-year-old. And so we can't, you know, do all these gatherings at the cost of our own family health. So I think you need to always measure back to that. Like what does your own little family unit need to be healthy? But this is, you know, when it's something we can all do together and all invest in, I think those are beautiful lessons for our children. You know, they're learning hospitality. They're learning how to get their hands dirty and that it takes effort and discomfort, but that there's a beautiful payoff in that. So like we can't do all these things at the cost of our own health or right. mental health at any point. So yeah, I know for always checking that for yeah. us, there's like there's seasons where we're where I just feel I can just feel like, oh, let's do a barbecue this night and then we're going to go to this and we're going to do that and have these people over. And then there's seasons where I feel like, no, we, we just need to be home in the weeknights. We need to be home on the weekends. So uh, yeah, yeah, I think like you said, just recognizing it's a, you got to feed your family, give your family what it needs first, <clears throat> and then you can yeah. pour out from the full cup. Yeah. And it's okay to have those seasons. It's like, that's another element of how we're meant to live. Like we are seasonal human beings. Like we're meant to have times where you're maybe more drawing inward and times where you're able to pour out more, but no one can, no one can pour out all the time. Right. Yeah. Oh, so good. So good. So as we wrap up, <laughs> Christine, is there any other last bits of advice you would have for someone who's really feeling drawn to this topic of community right now Mm. in their life? Mm, I would just say, don't wait to begin and you can turn things around. So if you feel like maybe you're not living a connected life and it's gone too far, just don't believe that and just start now to turn things around and it's not too late to just start doing those small changes to be more connected to community, to be more connected to the land and to where your food comes from, to those meals around the table. So that's what I would say. Just don't wait. And it's not too late to begin. Yeah. Mm. Love that. And can you let everybody know where they can listen to your podcast, where they get your book and where just to keep up with all the amazing things you're doing? Yes. Thank you so much. So my website is christinemariebailey.com and also thekindredfarm.com. We're on Instagram at The Kindred Farm, and I'm on Instagram at Organic Steen. And yeah, my podcast, The Kindred Life Podcast, it's available everywhere, you know, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, all those fun places. It's a weekly podcast. I'm loving doing that right now. And then my book is available, you know, Amazon everywhere. So yeah, we just love connecting with people. And I'm just so grateful to be here. I love everything you're doing. And I just knew that we would connect so well. Yes. So thank you for your work in the world too, Jill. It's awesome. And I can't wait for your new book too. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the little shout out there. I did not pay her to say <laughs> that, you guys. But no, I feel like, you know, we we talk about old-fashioned skills so much either on my platforms or elsewhere. But I think this community one is one yeah. of the most old-fashioned things we can do, especially now. Yes. And it's often just forgotten in the, oh, sourdough bread and canning, which I also love. But man, this one is, you want fulfillment, it's, it's going to give it to you. So thank you for sharing. I think just being able to get practical, it was really helpful for people just so they can kind of envision what it would look like for them. So thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.